Hello and welcome to another episode of the V Gains podcast. Today I have Jackson Foster on my show. You probably know him better as Plantriotic. He also has a podcast, YouTube and Instagram and he's traveling the world with his bicycle and now with his dog together and I asked you for questions and I got a lot and I asked him about his traveling lifestyle together with a dog through the entire world, the struggles, the obstacles, the dangers and the fun of it. So stick around. Unfortunately, the first question or the first two questions, his sound from his end wasn't that good. But after those two questions, the sound got better. Not the best because that's the downside of doing podcasts via the internet um, because he's not in my direct env- he's not here in my home. So we cannot have a proper um, podcast microphone as I do right now or when I have my podcast alone or with guests in my home, in my direct environment. But yeah, better, a bit less quality sound, but make it possible. That's the most important thing. So I hope you don't mind that the sound isn't the best and stick around for the, yeah, longer than the first two questions because then the sound does get better. So without further ado, enjoy this podcast. I'm a longtime listener of his podcast called the Plantriotic Podcast, my friend Jackson Foster. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Unfortunately, my podcast is the most inconsistent podcast, vegan podcast on iTunes. But, you know, it's a lot to manage cycling the world, uploading on YouTube, giving love to my dog and uploading podcasts. But whenever I get interviewed for one like this, it gives me inspiration to post another episode. So maybe I'll do one soon again. But But thank you so much for having me on. Uh, You know, the last time we talked was on when I interviewed you on my podcast and I'm about a thousand miles south of the last time we talked. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. And your podcast, it's still great. Probably one of the most authentic podcasts because you, you know, you just with people you have in your environment right now, you make, you have great conversations. I, I still love to listen to them. And, you know, People have, have busy lives, so no worries if there's not a podcast for a couple of weeks. And if there's a new one, I listen to it. And if not, then I listen to something else. So, yeah, just keep it up. Yeah, that's true. I have, that's true. I have like over 100 episodes on there. Most people who find out about me recently probably haven't heard them. And I have had some pretty badass guests. I guess I forget because it's been going on for so long. I started my podcast four years ago, I think, in 2014, if I'm not mistaken. So I've had some pretty amazing guests. You're right. So thank you. Thank you, my brother. And and that is the thing. Um, That's why I don't want to make too many episodes just to make episodes because it would dilute the other episodes a bit. So I only want to make episodes when I really want to and when I'm, you know, when I think it's a great episode, not just, oh, it's my schedule. And because at podcasts, often people go back to the beginning or they pick out some guests they're interested in. Um, So, yeah. Still love your podcast. Okay. Thanks, dude. Um, always when I get a guest on my podcast, I, of course, ask my community about questions. And I got many questions. And I also ask my friends if they have any questions. Friends, they know my podcast guest. So my girlfriend, she has the first question because she's really nice. obsessed with your dog. And she, Yay, me too. <laughs> she uh, has a great question I'm really interested too. And it is, you got Maggie, I think, about six months ago. And how how did it change your life? Oh my gosh, so much. Um, 
Before I got Maggie, I started this bike tour that I'm on now, which is really not a bike tour. It's more of a semi-permanent lifestyle that I'm living where I'm nomadically traveling on my bicycle. And I started this ride almost a year ago now, about 10 and a half months ago up in Alaska. And the first, you know, I, I, I had pets growing up, but I was living in a house with my parents and family and having a dog is almost like having a child in a way. So I never had a dog to myself. I grew up with dogs, but I never had all the responsibility because my you know parents would take care of them when I was young and things like that. So, you know, I went all throughout college without a dog and I started this bike tour also without a dog. And there are parts of not having a relationship or having a normal job and not having a dog that are beneficial things like being able to, you know, the, the less responsibilities you have, kind of the more freedom you have in a way to make really crazy, spontaneous decisions about, I want to go here, uh, do whatever. And I guess the biggest, I mean, there's, there's honestly pros and cons. It's mainly pros because I love Maggie so much. And, and what's changed my life with having her, you know, this last six months of the bike tour versus the first four or five months, um, I was, I got pretty lonely, honestly, you know, camping in Canada and Alaska by myself in the rain. I found myself talking to myself all the time and which is not necessarily a bad thing but I spend a lot of time alone on my bicycle and you know camping by myself and I would get scared sometimes you know I I love my lifestyle and I do have a lot of confidence but camping in a tent by yourself in the wilderness with bears in Alaska you know I had certain amounts of fear so I think my fear and loneliness since getting Maggie has been dramatically decreased, which is amazing because I want to enjoy my lifestyle. Of course, there's some inherent risks traveling as the only human and traveling in unknown places. But one thing Maggie's done, and I'll list off so many and how she's changed my life, she's made me less lonely because I have a beating heart who also has a personality. You know, we spend literally 24, most days, 24 hours a day together. Whereas most people, they go to work their job and they have to leave their dog once in a while. There's almost never a situation where Maggie leaves my side because we're always traveling together. And so I know her so well, and I'm a little biased because I love her, but blue healers are, they're, they're known to be one of the most intelligent dogs in the world. Um, they're super smart. And so she has such a distinct personality. So spending time with her makes me really less lonely because she's like my best buddy now. She's my best friend. She's just napping and sleeping over there right now. So I'm also less scared uh, traveling because she's a freaking beast. She loves me so much and she's a guard dog. Whenever we're camping and she hears anything, she boom, goes and checks it out, circles the animal, the person, whatever. Thankfully, she's never bitten someone and hurt somebody, but she makes herself look really scary when she is feels a little threatened. So I like when I camp alone in the desert here in Baja, which I do all the time over the last few months, I can go to bed with honestly a bit more security, knowing that Maggie is like my best buddy, who is my also my security guard. She really is. Um, 
what else? I mean, having a dog like her, it makes me so much less selfish because whenever I go into a grocery store, for instance, I'm not only thinking about myself, I have to think about Maggie. Um, she's also made my life a lot physically more difficult because I have to carry food and water, her toys, her trailer, and her most of the time. It's so hot down here in Baja now that you know Maggie loves to run alongside me on the bike, but it's gotten so freaking brutally hot, like 40 degrees Celsius most days, 41, that she'll run alongside me in the mornings, but then I'm pulling her on my bike in the trailer probably 80 or 90% of the day, and we stop all the time to play fetch and for her to walk around and things like that when we're biking. You know, I haven't had a biking day in like two weeks because right now I'm staying on a freaking abundant organic mango farm and it's incredible mm -hmm. and we're just running around having a great time all day. She hasn't been in the trailer for two weeks, but it's gotten, you know, it's made my bike life so much different. When I started the trip, it was easy for me to do a 120 kilometer day if I needed to. If I left early enough in the morning, I could make that happen. That's completely out of the question now. So my bike, you know, is like 70 kilos, I think. I think that's about 150 pounds. When, uh, when I'm riding with Maggie in the trailer, it's like 70 kilos of weight. So she's made my life physically more difficult, but so that may be a con, but it's also a plus because it's forced me to be a lot more present in my life. When I could move faster and when people are in cars and move faster, you plan ahead more. You're not as present in the moment. You think, ooh, where can I go tomorrow? Where can I go next week? I can get there faster. Having Maggie, because my life is so much slower, it's forced me to be more in the present moment and say, you know what? I'm going to bike, you know, 40 kilometers today, and then I'm going to take two days off and check out this town, and Maggie will be able to hang out. Versus in the past, I was much more oriented like, ooh, where can I go next? Where can I go next? Because I'm by myself. I'm always trying to get somewhere. So she has made, forced me, which is such a blessing to be more present. I have a companion. I'm less lonely. Um, you know, it's also a struggle because she is a rambunctious dog. And whenever we're, whenever someone's generous enough to let us into their home in the past, you know, I have all my things in a neat little corner and I'm very clean and I just don't take up much space. You know, Maggie will storm into a house and it's not like she's destroying things, but she's like a crazy six-year-old boy or something. She's just always running, wanting to play fetch. So there's been a little bit of struggle in that, you know, with her. Oh my God, I'll tell you this story and then I'll stop talking. You can ask me another question. But so those are just some of the ways in which Maggie's changed my life. It's so for the better. You know, I, I'm such an animal lover. I love dogs so much. And it's been a dream of mine since my first bike tour in 2011 to one day be able to live this lifestyle with a dog. But I didn't have confidence for so many years because it's a crazy proposition to live on a bicycle with a dog. Most people can't even comprehend that. But after biking, you know, four or five countries, I finally got the confidence to do it. But I'll tell you a story that happened the other day in Cabo. Oh my God, it was so scary. Um, we were, I, uh, I got an Airbnb in Cabo San Lucas, which is the southernmost tip of Baja. So I finally accomplished cycling all of Baja. And 
Uh, we were on the second story of this Airbnb, so we had to climb up a staircase. And then it was a really sketchily built house. It was like super sketchy. And there was a, just a tarp, like a mesh tarp as a shade cloth that went from the second story just to cantilever over. So, you know, you could just hang out when you pulled into the driveway. There was a tarp over it, you know, for rain or shade or whatever. Maggie, for some reason, couldn't tell that it was a tarp and not like an actual solid floor. So she runs up the stairs and then runs on the tarp and she broke it in half. And luckily I was right under her and I could like catch her. She could have got really injured. But that was actually the that was the most dangerous thing that's happened to her. Like, I mean, nothing happened at all. We got so lucky, but that was probably the closest call to something dangerous. And that's an example of like, I have to really be cautious because she's so crazy that when people let us into their homes, you know, I also have to be a bit more cautious that she doesn't destroy things. So those are some of the ways that she's changed my life thus far, but it's so for the better. I love her so much and I'm much happier living this lifestyle with her for sure that, that's so great to hear and <laughs> i love watching you both and it's so um, nice to see how she how you transformed her life because you were in charge what she gets to eat her exercise and i remember the first time i saw her i was like wow i've never seen a beast dog like that before <laughs> and oh what does and and i was so <laughs> thankful that you wanted to help her but um, i couldn't imagine such a beauty in her released so full of energy and you now when i see her it's it's a, a crazy transformation and yeah that's so nice to to see um yeah it's so it's so crazy how i manifested it because i'll be honest you know i love animals and i was set to see a few different shelter dogs because i specifically wanted a blue healer um that's what maggie is it's a type of australian cattle dog they've been bred to just have insane amounts of energy to be really loyal to their owner to one person and just to like to work and be active all day so i specifically wanted a blue healer and when i went out to different shelters to adopt one because of course you know i don't support the breeding of any animal for uh, human entertainment any animal outside of the wild so i don't believe in breeding so of course i was going to rescue a dog and i was actually set to see like three or four different blue healers in los angeles before i made my decision but of course because i'm just so emotional and I was excited. Maggie was the first dog that I saw. And additionally, she had a lot of problems. She was obese, morbidly obese. So in a way, it was kind of a terrible choice initially because my lifestyle is inherently, I need a very fit dog, but we had some connection and I just couldn't bear, you know, when I saw her, I just couldn't bear to leave her there. So I just said, screw it, I'm gonna do it. And hopefully she'll turn into this fit, energetic beast. And I just manifested my reality because that's exactly what happened. When I rescued her, she was 31 kilos and she's currently 21 kilos six months later. So she's lost 10 kilos with me. She's fit, energetic, healthy, and I can't believe it all worked out, but it did. That's, that's more weight loss than many people uh, not even achieve. And did you uh, send uh, the shelter some pictures? How she uh, I, I haven't. Honestly.
honestly, it was a big city shelter. It wasn't like uh, it, it was it was a rough place. There must have been a hundred or more dogs there. I don't think they oh. follow up. And and the family that dropped her off because she lived with a family for two years before I rescued her. They didn't even have much information about the family. They said they just surrendered Maggie. So I'm guessing they weren't very compassionate owners. Plus, of course they weren't because she was obese. I know Maggie now. The only way you could get her to be obese is if you locked her in a room or tied her up and just fed her pizza all day. Like if you even had her running around a house, she would be energetic and get her exercise. So I'm guessing her life was pretty rough before. So I don't have any information of people People to contact to say like look at her now but that's okay that's fine yeah. um your, the sound is overall good but it's a bit high pitch um maybe uh can you put it closer to your mouth maybe if you if you put it in front maybe um the um yeah just ask, now or no? so, sounds good but you're not saying much i ask you the next question and then i figure out okay but overall it's okay. good so it's just a, a bit but sure. yeah it's not a proper Joe Rogan's yeah. studio, <laughs> um, but that's what it makes this possible, so that's great. Okay, yeah. about uh, I want to dig into your uh, biking lifestyle. I got many questions about that, and maybe to start, how did you get into this biking lifestyle? Where does Jackson Foster even come from? Yeah, um, so. I grew up in a family where, you know, my parents are lovely people and gave me lots of love and let me accomplish uh, whatever I was interested in, but they could not. Sounds uh, uh, perfect, by the way. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Right. They did not give me any, my parents did not give me any skills in camping, in, you know, hardcore travel in the way that I travel now. That's just not who my parents are. They're city slicker type of people. So, but I always had it within me. You know, I used to beg my dad for us to take the one hour bike ride to the beach and he'd probably do it with me once a month or every two months or something. So I grew up you know, riding my bicycle around my neighborhood. And I just loved going on adventures. I've always loved nature. I've loved exploring uh, random, random foreign unknown places. So, but I never went on a bike tour growing up ever. And it wasn't until I graduated high school, um, I decided to take a gap year and take one year off before going to college. And the first thing I decided to do was ride my bicycle across America. I honestly can't give you an answer of how I even found out about bike touring, how I heard about it. I don't even remember. All I know is I grew up only going to big cities. You know, we'd go for a family trip to New York City or San Francisco. I had never seen the middle of America because I grew up in Los Angeles and I wanted to explore what I did not know because that's what interests me. And I also love to ride my bike. I was into sustainability, which I still am. So I put all the pieces together and said, how can I travel and get to know, see the country while being outside, physically active and not burning fossil fuels. And of course, when you put all those pieces together, a bike tour is what you get, and I decided to do it. Keep in mind, I had zero experience. Like, 
I had some experience with backpacking because I went to this really cool semester program my junior year of high school where I learned some outdoor education skills, but I had never biked toward. And I somehow convinced my older brother who was in college at the time to take a semester off. And I ended up convincing my best friend, Jason, who had gotten into NYU to take out, which is a university a college in New York City, to take off a year as well. And so the three of us, we decided to bike across America and we took our bikes. I did some research and just looked online for a few months. What do you do? What kind of gear do you need? And we just put together our bikes and some gear and we went over to the East Coast. We actually took a train to the East Coast instead of flying just because we were like, what else can we do weird without taking a plane? And trains are actually a lot more energy efficient than planes. I remember the conductor, who knows if this is completely true, but he told me on that train ride, so we took a four-day train across America to get to the East Coast so that we could ride our bikes back home to Los Angeles. And the conductor told me that the amount of energy it takes for a 747 plane to just take off is less energy than taking a train across the whole United States. I thought that was a cool fact, who knows if it's true. But, so that was our first bike tour. It was in 2011 and we biked across America. It took me 80, it took us 80 days, about 60 days of riding with uh, 20 off days scattered in between for rest days. And I was addicted and hooked from literally day one of that trip. It was incredible. I was with my brother and my best friend. We ended up meeting a dude the first week of that trip who we just met on the side of the road who was also on his first bike tour, but he was alone and also heading to California. This was in Virginia and we ended up teaming up with him and he joined our trip and he's a brother to me now. We've done bike tours in Italy together. He visited me every year in college. He's vegan now. He was a he was a rural hunter from from Pennsylvania when we met him and now he's living in Colorado working for a solar water heating company and he's a vegan. Um, so just bike touring is magical. It's like you get to it's so childlike, you know, you get on your bicycle with all your stuff on your bike and you get to pedal into the unknown and every day is unknown and you're forced to go into these little towns that you would absolutely never, never travel to places you've never even heard of. But the only place to get from point A to point B is to go through every single place. So after that bike tour across the United States, which I loved so much. Oh my God. I could, you know, we could spend this whole podcast talking about stories from that trip. One night we met a couple in Kentucky who brought us back to their house and got us high and got us drunk. And they turned out to be swingers. Uh, we, you know, just the stories that you get from bike tours are priceless. You know, I get in the craziest situations and I fell in love with it ever since. And then after that bike tour throughout college, I would kind of take a bike tour every year, every two years. I would uh, in the summers or on a break. So over the last few years, I've biked across you know, a lot of Italy. I went from Chiang Mai, Thailand to Singapore. So across Thailand and Malaysia, 
gone across America, of course. I've gone up the coast of California as well. And then I've done this trip, which has gotten me from Alaska all the way down to Baja. And I'm in it for the long run. It's like, it's my favorite way to live life every day in the, in the present moment. And everything is a new, exciting adventure. So that's how I got into it. And I'm addicted. I plan to do it for the next few years. That, that sounds great and passionate. I love it. Um, a question I got from a follower is, how do you deal with the heat on the bike and how do you protect your skin from the sun? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and it's, it's specifically even more important to me because I've got these beautiful tattoos that I'm very passionate about and sun exposure. A lot of people don't know this, but tattoos get destroyed in the sun. If you expose your tattoos to too much sun, you know, in 10 years, they're going to be a lot more blurry and faded than before. So it's pretty important to me, but I also have to surrender at a certain point because here, so for the first few months of this bike tour, it was actually really ideal because it was very cold up in Alaska and Canada. I left for this trip a little bit late. Most people leave in June or July, and I left in September just because I was doing other crazy things before. And so I had uh, like tights, like cycling tights uh, that covered all of my legs. And then I had like a sweatshirt or long sleeves on. So I was completely covered. So that wasn't an issue. But now here in Mexico, as I told you, I, it's like 40 degrees Celsius, which is like 100 degrees almost every single day. So it is gnarly. Um, the way that I protect myself now, you know, I can't wear long pants or long sleeves anymore. It's too hot. So I just have good sunscreen, 50 SPF. I definitely wear it every time I get on the bike. I use a sun bum, which is a really cool, like vegan organic uh, brand of sunscreen. I'll, I'll run out of it eventually and just have to buy whatever here in Mexico, which is fine with me. But yeah, I just load sunscreen on my neck and on my legs and on my um, arms. And I also leave early in the morning. That's really the key. That's the only thing that you can do. You don't want a bike tour in the nighttime. Some people ask me here, like, it's so hot in the day. Do you ride at night? And it's not a good idea, especially because I'm traveling with a dog. I want to be really safe and visible. So I never ride my bicycle on the open roads in the nighttime. So the way that you avoid the heat is to leave early in the morning. So on riding days, Maggie and I are usually on the bike by, you know, seven in the morning and we'll ride until about 11 and then we'll take like an hour or two hour break in the hottest part of the day we'll go to a park we'll stop at a tree on the side of the road or a restaurant or a gas station and we'll be able to cool off hang out I'll buy a really cold water bottle and let Maggie cool down and let me cool down and then we keep riding but to be honest there's no way to avoid it. Most days that I'm riding, I am riding for many hours in a hundred degree heat and you just adapt, you know, you adapt to it. I'm also a, I, I like to be warm and hot. I don't like to be cold. Um, but if it ever got too, too hot, you know, right now is like the hottest part of the year. It's coming, you know, into August and 
thankfully I found a situation where I'm staying on a fruit farm for a while. So we're taking a break from riding. So if you were ever bike touring and it got too crazy, you know, you could take a month off in the hottest part, but you know what, it's just a part of the lifestyle. If it was easy, everyone would be doing it. So a part of the green to do it is that you're going to put yourself in really brutal, gnarly situations, depending on where you are in the world. So, you know, the way, I, I don't have any fancy tips. You know, there's of course uh, like cycling arm guards. You can just buy like a thin layer so you don't have to wear a long sleeve shirt, but it's just like a thin cycling layer. So you can use that. But these days it's so hot. I just put sunscreen on in the morning and do my best. But that is already smart. Good timing. Go early, avoid the hottest hours, sunscreen or long sleeve. Yeah, that's great. I cannot imagine. I'm already dying here at 30 degrees. It's so hot. It's not for me. I yeah, 40 degrees. I, who that, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's brutal. It's brutal. Like I've I've gotten so close to heat stroke, and sometimes yeah. in the day on my wrists and stuff, I'll have little bumps from heat exposure. It's really gnarly, but thankfully, you know, Maggie and I are not on a time rush. We're not, most people who take a bike tour, they have to do it for like a month or two months because they have to go back to work or back to school. This is just my present moment, permanent lifestyle. So, you know, on days when it's too hot, we just won't ride or we'll ride, uh, you know, 30 kilometers and just ride in the morning and then stop for the afternoon. Yeah. Well, yeah, I also cannot imagine for a dog when it's that hot, it's yeah, a lot of stress and so yeah. much heat to, to bear with, but yeah, September, October, November is coming and then it gets cool and then it will yes. be a nice riding time for you. I'm and excited. Yeah, let's just get through it. Honestly, I ordered an um, a air conditioner because here in Germany we almost never need it, but it, this summer it's so weird, it's all around the world, it is crazy. Yeah. It is, and yeah. it gets unbearable in this apartment. I, I, go, I must go into the bathtub every day, a cold one, Because we're living at the, at the highest floor and the oh heat just stench in yeah. here and I'm sweating right now during, during this podcast. I have this yeah. little thing, this is my lifesaver, but it's not yeah. it's blowing warm air into my face. So yeah, climate change. And it's, only, and it's only getting hotter as we learn from your great informative yeah. Instagram posts on climate change. You know, it's only getting hotter. Yeah, I have a friend in Alaska right now who's doing some environmental research up there and she She's been making posts, I think yesterday or the day before, that it was like the hottest day ever recorded in her town in the last many hundred years. Yeah, and that's all around the world. And many people yeah. are dying because of the heat. It's, it's crazy. Whew. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, um, yeah, this is also a follow-up question. Um, wait, where was it? Here. Um, were there some dangerous situations or things that happened to him during traveling? So you already shared the story with your dog. Um, it was really <laughs> <Yeah>. gnarly. <laughs> and it would yeah. be great if you could film it because in my head it sounds crazy. Because your dog over 20 kilos. It must be a good drop. But good yeah. that you were right in spot. Um, yeah, were yeah. there some other dangerous situations? Yeah. Um... You know, thankfully, I haven't had too many close to life threatening situations on the bike, except I actually almost have a life threatening situation every single day. It's kind of a funny paradox because nothing specifically bad has happened. But if you can imagine cycling on a road with 18 wheeler trucks 
every few minutes. You know, here in Mexico, in Baja, um, there's one main road. It's just the Mexican Road One, it's called, and it goes through all throughout Baja. So all the big trucks that are transporting food and whatever are are on this road. You know, in other times, I'm biking on small country roads where a car only comes every 20 or 30 minutes, and it's super slow and it's great. But recently, you know, and Mexico has no shoulder. The infrastructure in Mexico, of course, is not like in a lot of, you know, other countries, especially the countries I've been in recently, Canada and the United States. Um, there's no shoulder. So I'm really biking on the actual road with cars just over to the far right side. And almost every single day that I'm biking, there's probably 10 cars that get you know, less than a third of a meter from me. And you could call that an almost life-threatening situation because if I have to be at peace that every single car that passes me has the choice to kill me in that moment. Yeah. It's just true. I'm just a bicycle on the side of the road and they make the choice not to hit me. So. It's crazy that I have never been hit on a bike tour. You know, I've bike toured more than like 15,000 kilometers in the last six years or something, and I've never been hit by a car. So, of course, that's an inherent danger. Um, but what are other dangerous things that have happened to me? Um, but what you were mentioning, I hate this, that you have to put your faith into other people's driving their car and you know how people you know text and drive to other things and uh yeah i feel so safe on my bicycle for my ability but yeah. you have, in berlin we constantly have to also ride on the street um and yeah i just but as you said it's just over five years i ride my bicycle here in berlin and i was always safe so i have some trust but you still yeah, yeah you as you said they could end at any time so that's that's something yeah. I, i don't like so i love roads that are not busy and you have your own line and that is that is what i prefer yeah um here i'll you know one one thing came to mind you know the the sketchiest situations i get in you know but, but really i have to make this clear you know some people think the way that i travel is crazy i knock on people's doors and ask to camp in their yard or if it's too cold i'll hope that they invite me to sleep in their house a complete stranger in a small town on the side of the road uh here in mexico i've slept in abandoned buildings in small towns things that sound so sketchy to people yeah. and would be so sketchy to me like five or 10 years ago. But I promise after living this lifestyle and meeting people, I've learned that a lot of our preconceived notions and fears are not actually rational. And they're based on just the lack of experience we've had and believing the fear tactics that other people tell us. And like, I'm sorry to say for the story's sake, but I have not felt physically threatened one time on this whole bike tour. Um, but I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, I mean, it's not that funny, <laughs> but up in, up in Alaska, no, up in uh, the Yukon in Canada, which is, you know, there's a lot of poor people up there who are living in like trailers on the side of a river and like don't even pay rent and don't pay anything for the land. And one night, um, or one day 
I was in the Yukon. It was very cold. It was like the beginning of October. And I was pretty desperate to find a place, a warmer place than sleeping outside. Of course, if I had to, I would sleep outside. I'm fully prepared. I have my tent. I have warm clothes. I have a good synthetic sleeping bag where I can sleep up to, you know, zero degrees or even a little less Celsius. And, um, but if I ever do see a house, when I'm in these cold rural places, I'll go up and ask, hey, can you help me out? Can I sleep in your garage? Can I sleep in your basement? And one day, you know, this must have been eight months ago, I found a trailer, just like a trailer, uh, parked on the side of a river. And it was getting to be nighttime, and, it was, and I didn't have Maggie at the time. So I went over to the trailer and knocked on the door, and I talked to the woman. And, and thankfully, she let me into her trailer, and I was so grateful. And so now I'm this solo traveler who has been, and who has been accepted into this person's home, and it turned out that they were pretty hardcore drug addicts, and they were smoking like meth, like, like really pretty scary stuff. And they were drinking and they were clearly just, uh, you know, drugged out people. And I have only empathy for people, you know, they weren't, they were completely nice. It turned out I was a hundred percent safe, but going to bed that night after watching these people smoke like meth or crack or whatever it was all night, I definitely went to bed like just praying, please let this be a safe situation. I don't want to get robbed or killed. Um, so those kind of things are probably the closest things to danger that I experience is when I end up camping and sleeping in the craziest places. As I said, abandoned buildings, uh, you know, I'll walk in, I'll walk off the side of the highway 10 minutes into the wilderness when I end my biking day in the middle of nowhere. So of course there's an element of what's going to happen because you just don't know. And that's the scariest, most life-threatening situation. I've gotten in, but it just so happens that none of it has ever unfolded into a scary situation. And then there's the, the wildlife aspect. Um, up in, you know, yesterday I was digging compost because I'm building these uh, garden beds to grow different lettuces for the woman that I'm living with right now. And, you know, I'm wearing sandals, I've got shorts on, and I put my shovel in the dirt and throw it into the wheelbarrow and this big tarantula, I put it on my Instagram stories, this big tarantula comes out. So, you know, I'm always around rattlesnakes, tarantulas, and then up in Alaska, I had to bike by bears, by black bears. And it was so scary because I'm all alone. I'm on a bicycle. Animals are really freaked out by bicycles. It's a funny thing because they're used to seeing cars. They're not scared when a car drives by, but a bicycle just freaks them out because of the different speed. So up in Alaska, a car would only pass me every 30 minutes or something. So I'm usually alone on the road. And I saw about five bears on the side of the highway up in Alaska. And I just took out my bear spray and hoped for the best and would just fast bike by them so wildlife is another aspect of sketchy situations but again nothing bad has happened yeah it, it seems a little bit interesting that i grew up in los angeles to a privileged family and i went to college and i and i have the potential to stay in a nice apartment and have a good job and all of these things but i choose to live a life that is 
on the fringe and every day is unknown. And there are really high highs, like when I'm bombing down a hill and it's beautiful out and I have a host to stay with and everything is wonderful. But for every one of those days, there's a day when I am biking in the rain and I'm tired and I have to make so many miles and I get a flat tire and I don't know where to sleep and there's ants everywhere and it would make some people explode, you know, just the amount of annoying situations that are piling up on top of each other. But it's just within my heart, man. I'm someone who I like to feel life very intensely. I like to experience it intensely. And I like to live based on my morals, which is spreading the vegan message and the yoga message and the self-love message. But you know, a lot of what I like to do and what I've attached to is trying to get people to eat and live more compassionately. So living this lifestyle... I'm able to not burn any fossil fuels in terms of my transportation. I am able to go to new small towns and places almost every single day and spread my message to people that don't even have internet access, that don't have access to learning about all the amazing information that you and I both put out into the world on our Instagram and our YouTube channels and our podcasts that are going to fix the world. You know, climate change and just violence in general, it's a, it's a result of too many human beings on the planet and us living in a destructive and violent way. And we clearly can't trust our governments or our capitalist big corporations to fix that problem because they're actually the source of the problem. The only way we're going to fix it is when people start to wake up and change, which of course is inevitably going to happen because we can't live this way forever. But the only way that we're going to get you know, the consciousness of the world to shift is by spreading the word. That's how you know, religious people have been, you know, evangelizing their spiritual beliefs by going into new places and preaching their, their faith. I am not preaching faith. I'm just preaching science and morality in a sense and talking to people about, Hey, you actually have a choice to have more control over your health and burn less fossil fuels, which is going to be better for your farm. Because, you know, here in Mexico, it's so hot in 20 years, they're not going to be able to grow food in 50 years because it's so freaking hot. So me being able to spread this information to so many different people, like sometimes I look at a map and going all the places I've been and I wear my vegan shirt and I've got, you know, vegetables and you know I've got friends not food tattooed on my body I'm just a walking advertisement for all the things I believe in and so between and it's also inspiring like when I roll into a small town and I and and people ask me what I'm doing and they and I tell them that I live on my bicycle and I'm biking all over the world that's so crazy to most people that even though I'm probably not inspiring people to go out and live my exact lifestyle I'm just inspiring people that they can actually do whatever they feel in their heart that they want to do because I'm doing something that's so crazy to them but it was just a vision and a feeling I had within me so it inspires other people people to do the same for their life so I don't know what to say like why I chose this lifestyle it just is so meaningful to me and I read a quote that actually the woman I'm staying with showed me the other day I don't remember the exact quote but the meaning behind it is that living a life of meaning 
means that you're happy whether or not your situation that you found yourself in is good or bad. Meaning if you live every day meaningfully, even if every day is super, super hard, which most of my days you can argue are pretty tough. You know, a lot of my days are just blissful and I'm on a mango farm chilling out under a fan eating mangoes. But for every one of those days, I have a tougher day. But because I have so much meaning in my life, I'm able to stay happy even throughout the obstacles. And that is so powerful because when you're not living meaningfully, when a shitty situation happens, everything's going to crumble because you're like, what's the point of living? My work isn't meaningful and my situation and circumstances all around me are terrible and terrible things are going to happen to all of us. We're going to experience pain and suffering and death. So if you align your life so that you're living meaningfully, it becomes so much easier and satisfying to move through those hard times in life because you know you're doing something that is enriching your soul. And I feel like that's the meaning of life. Come on. Nothing, nothing, sorry, now I'm just philosophizing, but this is important to me. You know, we are all human animals on a flying ball in the middle of space and we're all going to die and the sun is going to engulf the earth one day and we take things too seriously. You know, we think, oh, this is my one life, so I have to make everyone happy, you know, my parents and my teachers and I have to do the path of whatever they told me to do and if I go out and completely dramatically do something crazy. You know, most people don't feel the freedom in their own life to go out and do something crazy that might even be dangerous, but they feel it within them. And I'm trying to say to people, the only thing that you should do with your life is to tune in to what is going to bring you meaning as long as it's not making violence towards others, you know, but as long as what you want to do is also going to make the world a better place or at least is not harming anybody, it's not like a dream to go do that. You have to go do it or else what is the point? Nothing really, you know, nothing really matters. Thus, you have to go and do what you want to do or else your life, you know, what was the point of it if you live out your whole life doing something that never even served you? And so I'm trying to inspire people to do that. Really well said. I, I totally agree. Life, I think, is fundamentally meaningless. It's what meaning you give life. And as you said, follow your heart, follow your passion, follow your highest excitement, I always say. And I clearly see you doing it. And I'm so happy that you share it because I, I, love, your, I love your videos because I know I always see new places And I probably will never travel there, but it's so nice to see them. And um, like Mexico, I never really knew anything about Mexico, how it, how it looks there. And, and you, you showed me so many insights and now I have a better picture. And that is, that is just so great. And yeah, keep... And, 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 and just get ready because the part of Mexico that I've been able to show you all is only a very tiny specific... Because I'm on a peninsula of Mexico. In a few weeks, I'm going to get to the mainland. From there, I'm going to bike into Mexico City, which, you know, I've been on the coast and it's been deserty and, and sandy and beachy. I'm about to bike into the mountains uh, to, to and at two point 
3,000 meters up into the mountains into Mexico City. You know, I'm about to show you such different lands, and then I'm going to descend down into the Yucatan, into the tropics, and it's, oh my God, it's going to get so diverse. Mexico is a really big country, and they have every single ecosystem and climate you can imagine. I cannot wait. Next, I would like to talk about eating a vegan diet while riding your bike. I have no doubt it's not always easy to uh, eat a healthy vegan diet, but is it also sometimes hard to even find vegan foods? Uh, the short answer is no. Um, as, as I said, I've biked across five countries, you know, many, many tens of thousands of kilometers, and I have never had one day where I can't find vegan food. Ever. Of course, some of those days I'm eating peanut butter and jelly and bread and tortillas, which to some super healthy people would be completely unreasonable for them. But um, I'm actually extremely proud and happy in my lifestyle currently that I'm able to stay happy even when I'm eating the most basic of foods because in the past, you know, I've struggled with eating disorders and orthorexia where in college I didn't think I was ever going to be able to travel because I was so obsessed with, you know, having my acai smoothie and salad with 30 different superfood ingredients every single day or else I was going to freaking die of cancer, which <laughs> is just so wrong. You know, you and I both know a lot about nutrition and what happens day to day is not as important as what happens in your week or your month. You know, as long as you're eating healthy, just whole plant foods um, frequently in your lifestyle, if you have one day where you're eating mainly bread and peanut butter and jelly and oatmeal, it's not going to negatively impact your life in the long term. So um, my diet changes so much depending on where I am. So while it's never hard to find vegan food, because you know what a lot of people don't think about also is that people who are meat eaters mainly eat vegan foods. Most people aren't following a carnivor a carnivorous diet. They're eating you know oatmeal with a little bit of milk in it for breakfast or they're eating toast and jam with a little bit of bacon. So you can find or eggs, you can find vegan food everywhere because everyone eats plants. Um, but up in the up in Alaska and Canada, my diet looked like, you know, I get to a gas station or a small town with one grocery store and I would fill up for the week because I have a pot and pan and cooking equipment. Um, you know, I can fill up my fuel at a gas station. You know, it costs like one dollar for like a week or two's worth of fuel. So I'm able to cook on this lifestyle as well. And in any gas station, even in those remote locations, I can get pasta, oatmeal, peanut butter, jelly, raisins, maybe some dried fruit, uh, uh, some cinnamon, and then if I'm lucky, I can find some zucchinis and lentils and beans and rice. Like These are things that you can find everywhere in the world. If you're bicycling on a road, you can pretty much find those things. So up in Canada and Alaska, I was eating 
oatmeal and maybe a banana if I found it with peanut butter in the mornings. Um, I always travel with my daily green boost powder, which is an awesome way for it. If you can find a greens powder, that's a really good kind of life hack. If you can't find fresh fruits and vegetables, if you're biking in really cold or remote places, if you take a greens powder, boom, you can throw that in and get a bunch of micronutrition. But so, you know, oatmeal, peanut butter jelly sandwiches are the best biking fuel. It's good, it, you know, it's easy on your digestive system. You can find bread everywhere and you can find peanut butter and jelly in a lot of places. Of course, it's not the, health, the healthiest thing. There's refined oils, refined sugars, but because I'm not as, you know, crazy about having to eat completely healthy every day and whenever I do get access to healthy food, that's all I want to eat, you know. This last week, I've eaten 100% raw till four. I've eaten mangoes and fresh uh, mint and herbs from the garden with bananas and 20 mangoes a day for free because I'm living on a mango farm. And then in the evenings, I'm eating lentils and rice and vegetables. Um, so on those days when I am riding and the diet has to be a bit more refined foods, I just don't care anymore. I'll be completely honest. It's fine with me. Um, so the diet always changes. Once I got into California, no, you know, the fruit started coming more often. And now here in Mexico on every, you know, every few kilometers, there's a dude in a truck on the side of the road with watermelon and citrus. Uh, when I was biking through Thailand and Malaysia, I was eating freaking watermelon and jackfruit and chempadak and durian during my <laughs> biking days. So, you know, bike life, a lot of people, especially if you're really into health and nutrition, like I am as well, people will get nervous because I don't have a refrigerator. I don't have a lot of storage space to carry food, but I'm telling you, it just manifests and it unfolds. And if you look at my Instagram, I eat the most amazing food and I just stumble upon it all the time. So I promise it's easy to live this lifestyle as a vegan. I've met a ton of other bicycle touring people actually who are vegan as well. So I'm not the only person doing it. And that's so beautiful that that's a reality because a lot of people think that, you know, this diet is only possible if you're living in a progressive city and if you have money. I make a freaking thousand dollars a month on my little social media uh, business of making YouTube videos and podcasts and things. I live on a bicycle. Like, I'm the least, I'm, like, veganism, if, if anyone can be vegan, Sorry, if I can be vegan, yeah, yeah. literally anyone else can because I eat very cheaply. I don't have a kitchen, don't have a refrigerator. And if you look at my Instagram, I'm not starving and I'm not eating only gross refined food. I eat amazing food and you can just find it anywhere. That is, that is so great to hear. I, I would have thought you would have gone to bed at least a couple of nights hungry. But that is so great to hear that you all literally you carry never stuff. once. Yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to be smart. I have my cooking stuff, so at all times I make sure to have like lentils and rice at least, and like nutritional yeast and some ketchup and hot sauce. With that right there, which you can have as a staple and find anywhere, you know. You're eating rice and lentils at night. That's great. That's a healthy, great meal. So as long as you keep the staples on you, you're good to go. Yeah. And overall, your 
diet still sounds very healthy and even your your unhealthy day with uh, with peanut butter and jelly sandwich and oatmeal are healthier than the average american diet so yeah you're, you're all good and you know you many people don't get that you're burning so many calories you just need to refuel your body and like a peanut butter jelly sandwich it's just instant fuel and um yeah that's 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 great to hear that you managed that well and yeah, yeah yeah as you said if if you can do it in this circumstances everyone can do it but people have to come up with excuses yeah and another thing about food and calories you know if people haven't seen my youtube videos or instagram and are just listening to this podcast um not trying to boost my ego here but i don't look like the typical cyclist i don't have rail thin arms and i'm not skinny and frail i'm actually you know i'm a six foot two like 160 or 70 pound dude i'm even able to keep on little amounts of muscle living this lifestyle most people would assume okay he's biking all over the world but he's probably a super skinny emaciated vegan and I don't think I am. You can look at my Instagram and posts like that. Even with all the miles I'm biking, as long as you just do body weight exercises, you know, every day I spend maybe 10 or 20 minutes, nothing difficult. I put in a podcast, I do 50 push-ups, I do some abs, I find a tree or something to do pull-ups on. It's not stressful. I don't count reps or anything. I just move my body in a different way, doing some resistance movements with my body. And if you do that while eating enough food, You can even bike all the time and you're not going to look like freaking Ferdinand. You're not going to be and you're not going to be a bodybuilder, but you can still keep on. Yeah. And you're proving that day by day. <clears throat> Another follow up question I got is how did Trevor help him recover from his eating disorder? It's a huge part of what I do. Um, When I was in the midst and the worst of my eating disorder, I really had orthorexia, which if people aren't familiar with, you know, I got so passionate about veganism and this fountain of youth, like, wow, eating healthy is actually really cool. And when I got deep into it and into eating a low-fat diet and an oil-free diet and then a fruitarian diet, and I kept on going further and further down the rabbit hole, which is all great information, and I use All that information that honestly initially spun me into an eating disorder, I still practice most of those nutritional philosophies. I just took it too seriously back then, way too seriously. And what ended up happening is that food became the number one most important thing in my life. And I created these false stories that if I didn't uh, eat 100% to the T, the healthiest diet I knew possible, then my life wouldn't be as good. What ended up happening is that my life became much worse trying to follow the healthiest diet in the world with zero wiggle room to just go out and enjoy a beer and get a popsicle or a veggie burger with a friend. So in the, in the worst of my eating disorder back in 2012 and 13, I would not eat any food that another person prepared, even if it was my best friend, because I was so fearful of having a drop of oil or too much salt or refined food. And I remember I loved travel so much because when I biked across America right after high school, I was vegetarian at the time. I didn't care about nutrition. I was just a normal 18-year-old dude. So that was such a fun experience. And when I got into college and really developed my eating disorder, I 
got really sad because I was like, oh, I can never travel again because when you travel, you don't have control. And eating disorders are all about control. That's what addiction is about too. We, we like to be able to control something because our emotions are not in our control and that makes us scared. So we try to control something and food is something you do have the option of having complete control of what you put in your mouth. So I found myself so sad in my eating disorder that I was never going to be able to travel again because I couldn't keep up my perfect, perfect diet, which I thought was good for me, but it turned out it got me to be actually very underweight and unhealthy and antisocial and low energy. It was, a, it was probably the worst part of my whole life. And once I decided somehow, you know, different people recover from their eating disorders in different ways. Some people get help from their friends and family. Other people have to go to a medical clinic and get, you know, be forced to eat for months at a time. Other people just have to go to therapy. I found my yoga community and found this spiritual practice that gave me this jolt of self-love that I had never known before. And through going through my yoga teacher training and learning about these concepts of self-love and yoga and also being immersed in a community of people who started to call me out. My yoga friends, you know, no one is hiding from an eating disorder. Your friends can tell. And what people do when they have this problem is they tend to isolate themselves. And that's the most dangerous thing that you can do. If you are, if you find yourself in an eating disorder and you want to recover, but you don't know how, the best thing that you can do without even, you know, changing your lifestyle the next day, which is too scary, is just start spending time with other people because they will slowly start to realize it. And then you're going to, and then they'll help you recover. And that's what happened with me when I got into yoga and so I started to recover while I was in college so I wasn't traveling at the time but once I was a year or two or three in my eating disorder recovery and it was time to go travel I can definitely say that still my recovery is getting better and better because of how the lack of control that I do have traveling because I don't have a fridge and I don't have access to controlling my diet, I'm able to release certain tensions and things that I've still been controlling over the years because I'm not a perfect self-love and perfect eater. I still have lingering tendencies in my eating disorders. It's not the we best all. when I have, you know, it's, we all do. Yeah, because it's human. It's being human. We have this information. We want to do the best for ourselves. And then it's really hard when we find ourselves in situations where we can't do that, especially if you're into fitness and all that stuff. So being on, okay, traveling full time, you're so, life is so uh, unpredictable and scary sometimes that my energy is spent towards simply surviving and I just don't have the time to worry about my eating disorder. Like that's, that's one of the things. And then after living that way for so many months at a time, you then realize, Oh, that's interesting. I've been eating candies every night because I'm so freaking hungry and at the gas station, all they have is peanut butter candies for me to eat. And I've been eating all this and guess what? I still feel good. My body still feels good. 
hey, I'm okay. It's all right. Whereas in the past, if I ate that candy every night, I would beat up on myself because I had, I didn't have anything to worry about. Now living this lifestyle, I have Maggie to worry about, my bike to worry about, uh, biking somewhere that I've been able to release the unnecessary control that I used to have, which would feed my eating disorder and traveling and living this way. I'm simply so happy when I end up somewhere with my tent safe in the nighttime that I'm not trying to also punish myself and control my food. I can instead love myself and eat a yummy dinner and maybe have a treat at night because, you know, yeah, because I don't have all this time and free space to worry about other things. So I think that's honestly another reason why I love and am addicted to this traveling lifestyle is it's made me recover from my eating disorder even more. Like Rich Roll said, um, beyond the blade, you know, get the basics about nutrition, what's healthy, but then don't obsess about it. And yeah, but when you obsess about it like you did, Like I don't cook with oil at home, but I don't mind having it when I go out. No worries. Exactly. Um, but now that you're distracted, that you have so much responsibility and all that stuff is going on, that you, you're too busy to worry about it and you see you're fine. And that is, that is great to hear. And I have no doubt that when you go back to a regular schedule, that you won't struggle with that anymore. That's, I think you're, you're beyond that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I don't, uh, you know, I'm not on my bicycle every day because this is my lifestyle. I meet a lot of cyclists who are trying to bike, you know, to Argentina in a year or two years, and they are literally on the bike every single day. And it's just not sustainable. You're not going to enjoy life if every day is a struggle. So I will sometimes, you know, I stopped at a farm up in Northern Baja for two and a half months. I spent 70 days living in one place. And so that was like a, you know, I had a, it wasn't a sedentary lifestyle. I was working on a farm, but I wasn't nomadic and I'm still able, even when I'm not cycling every day, I'm still able to eat like a healthy, normal person versus someone with an eating disorder. So um, I'm so proud of myself and I honestly can't believe it. Like I'm a source of hopefully inspiration more than anything to people recovering from eating disorders because I've been in that place where I couldn't even envision a potential future where I could recover from this issue, from this disease. And the fact that I am in the place that I am now, I'm amazed every single day that I can enjoy life to the degree that I do. So anyone listening to this who's in that prison and trap and they can't ever imagine releasing some of the control and eating disorder tendencies they have, my first, let me tell you, you will recover from it because you have to or you're going to die. And I don't think you're going to get yourself to the point where you die because I have confidence in people that they can recover. So what you need to do is start being proactive about it. You have to first, you know, watch YouTube videos. That's what I did. I have tons of free YouTube videos on ways to start your eating disorder recovery. You can buy eBooks. I have an eBook on eating disorder recovery. And then the next step, if you're really ready to heal and get better, is accountability. The only way to recover is through community and accountability. People with eating disorders love to stay isolated because you continue 
because you can continue doing your bad habits and no one will know. So if you really want to get serious, what you would do is you'd find a friend or family member or counselor or teacher and you would just tell them the problems that you're struggling with. And from there, once you release and get it out into the world or to one person that you are struggling with this, it becomes a quick snowball of realizing that you want to recover for yourself also. So community, it's like the most amazing medicine. You don't even have to do anything. You just have to talk. You just have to talk with another human being about the things that you're struggling with and the self-love and community will literally do the work. It's an amazing recipe. It's like it's the best medicine ever. All it is is community because love is what heals this disease. Really well said. Um, someone asked, that is, a, that is a nice question. If you had to settle somewhere for the next years, which would be the oh. top three places you would like to live the most? Oh, I love this question and I can't wait to talk about it because I have reached a really interesting point in my life where I love to travel so much, but I also am such a homebody. I am someone who loves the comfort of being home and uh, cooking the food that I love and growing food in my backyard and having a community. I love all that stuff too. I'm in this really funky place where I know I'm so young. So the point, I mean, the, the period of time when I should be traveling is now. So I'm going to continue to do that because I want to see the world. Like I, I literally want to bike across the whole world. So if I don't freaking die in the next few years, my plan is to bike to Argentina and then from Argentina, probably fly or take a boat somewhere in Europe and start doing you know, biking to freaking China or something like, and, and, but, but I should never plan that far ahead because you never know what's going to happen. Maybe I'll meet the love of my life in freaking Ecuador and I'll stay there forever. Like who knows? Because I move so slowly, you know, I've almost been a year on the bike and I'm not even halfway to Argentina. So it's going to take me a long time to get there. But I do uh, sometimes when I'm on the bike, I do envision my life when I am done bike touring because I don't want to do this forever. And I used to think up to like a year ago that after I'm done bike touring, maybe I'll then move to Los Angeles and try to write a book and be this like vegan celebrity and try to just get the message out that way and try to just increase my media and all this stuff, which If that is your passion and if you're good at it, like you are my brother, I mean, your success is so inspiring. People are responding to the amazing content that you're putting out. Um, and I think you should, if that's in your heart, to take that approach. But I've actually had a really big lifestyle shift in my consciousness over the last year. And I'm pretty sure that the moment I'm done with this bike tour, whenever that is, if that's in one year or if that's in five or 10 years, I really don't know. But the moment that I'm done, I actually don't want to go rent some house like most young people do in a city and get a job and like do that stuff. 
I'm actually completely ready to buy land in the middle of nowhere and grow food and start a family and make pottery and maybe tattoo the local people and of course still advocate for the vegan movement and hopefully I can speak to people about my inspiring bike tour and the vegan lifestyle and always be an advocate for animal liberation and veganism. But I am really passionate about living in nature and growing my own food and having a chill, spiritual, grounded in nature lifestyle. So I'm, I'm ready to do it. It's just, it's not going to happen until I'm done with my bike tour. So when, so I can't answer the question accurately because there's so many places that I'm going to go, especially on this trip, like Costa Rica, Nicaragua, Ecuador, Brazil, that might be inspiring places for me to live someday. I'm almost positive it won't be in the United States. Um, I'm from the United States, but, you know, I love being in foreign places, and I also hate what's going on in the United States. We're a... We're an overpopulated, politically corrupt, anxiety-ridden, medication-ridden, just place with energy that I don't like. And of course, there's so many beautiful places in America. Like I would still be a very happy person settling down in, you know, on a on a rural place in Oregon or in Northern California. Of course, that would be beautiful. And that's such a privilege to live there. But I'm pretty sure as of now, I would like to settle down in a tropical environment, um, maybe Costa Rica, maybe um, Thailand, maybe Malaysia. As of now, those are maybe my top three places, places that I've been that I resonate with the most. You know, the fruit that you can grow in your backyard in Malaysia is unbelievable. I biked throughout Malaysia and I would meet these poor people who had no resources, but they were selling the most divine fruits you could ever imagine outside of their door. And that's so important to me. I want to be able to grow food and live on the land and live sustainably. So... If you had to ask me now, it would be like Southern Thailand or Malaysia or Costa Rica. Those are three places that I've been that I could see myself starting a little homestead. That is, that is a great vision. And a tropical place would be the best because then you can grow the, like fruits and they will just grow in abundance because the temperatures are perfect. And also these countries are cheaper than the United States mostly yes. and then it's easier to to buy land to have a have a big farm and all that stuff and yeah that's that's great and uh, I can't yeah, wait I'm, I'm, I'm a tropical man like I, I can't do cold anymore I lived in Colorado for three years I've had some issues with backpacking in the cold and having some nerve damage and frostbite and things like that so even living in Northern California too cold for me too cold <laughs> i i'm i'm a man of the tropics okay um yeah i cannot wait to follow your your lifestyle and see where where it goes and how it will manifest and you kind of already answered the next question but someone asked uh, would you ever consider writing a book about your travels i'd love to read it yeah you know i think that at the end of everything that seems like a natural thing that i should do because i find myself 
on a weekly basis just saying, how the hell did I end up here? Like, let me, let me just ex let, let me explain why I'm here talking to you right now and where I am. Uh, last week, Maggie and I were, I was pushing my bike 10 kilometers up a dirt road in the sand in the rain during a thunderstorm in Mexico. And I was planning on camping by myself in the wilderness by these hot springs. I had heard from a local that there were these really cool rural hot springs 10 kilometers up this dirt road off the highway. So I'm pushing my bike and about two kilometers, almost, I was almost there. And I would have gone into the trees and no one would have seen me. But I was two kilometers away and a woman from Canada actually pulls up in her truck and she actually has a rural mango homestead farm there. She doesn't sell her fruit or anything. She lives a lifestyle like I'll want to live someday. Just, you know, she's an older woman. She lives alone and she's from Canada and wanted to live the rest of her life out here. And we started talking and she was like, oh my God, you have a blue healer. I have a blue healer back at home, which you don't see many blue healers, especially in Mexico. And so this was a completely random thing. If the timing didn't work out that she had gone into town to buy a few items and then driving back, I would have never met her and I would have never ended up on this fruit farm where I'm now spending weeks at, but she invited me to her home and it turned out to be mango abundance. And now I'm doing things for her. I'm helping her with so many things. We've been eating vegan meals together and she's not vegan. So I'm able to spread that message to her. Um, and you know, I have as many mangoes as I want to eat every single day. And that's just a normal thing in my life that I'll be planning on going somewhere, but because I live so freely, I go someplace else. So a book is essentially the kind of book that I would write is a compilation of the crazy, entertaining, exciting stories I have woven into life lessons that I learned throughout those experiences. Like, you know, so many lessons, how to live spontaneously, how to not listen to fear of others, how to accept other people's cultures. Um, so hopefully one day after all the biking is done, the vision will come together and I'll write some books so that I can share my stories and also the lessons I've learned along the way. But that probably won't be for many years because I plan on still traveling. <laughs> that, that reminds me of The Hobbit, like going for this <laughs> unknown adventure and so many obstacles that they didn't blend in, of course. But, you know, they turned out accomplishing the mission and he comes back and writes a book. And, yeah, that's, um, yeah, I would, would like that. And that would, that would be also great for you just to process it all again and to, um, to, to make this beyond you. That when you die, people can still read your, your crazy journey and be inspired. Yeah, and some people might ask, this is a similar topic, do I keep a journal? And I don't keep a journal because my YouTube channel and Instagram are my journal. Exactly. So the really cool thing is that I can now go and reference every single thing I've done because I make an Instagram post almost every day. And nowadays I'm not daily vlogging, but I put out one or two videos a week. So when I am ready to maybe write a book, I have so much data to collect from because I forget everything. I have so many different experiences. I can't remember it all, but I can go back to my YouTube channel to check it out. 
Yeah, I do the same. It's like my, um, my, you know, we used to have this, these photo albums and for me it's YouTube and it's so much yeah. deeper because these moments you barely remember and then you have them in HD, in color, everything, the moment, the sound. It's so crazy. Yeah, and you, you, you look at yourself like, uh, because you always look a bit different, like, oh, I was so pale back then and a yeah. bit more puffy and uh, it's, it's just so nice to see that all. Um, yeah. Okay, we're already at the end, and I always ask my guest these last three questions. Are you ready for them? Yes, sir. <laughs> um, what scares you? What scares me? There's a lot of things that scare me. Um, it scares me to think about a world where we're headed into a world with so much suffering that makes me fearful that still with all the information we have and all the, all the obstacles we've made as a human race to abolish slavery in most countries and to give people equal rights and things like that. The fact that we could have a result like Trump and we could have a Nazi march, however many months ago that was in Charlottesville, Virginia, it shows me that regardless of the progress we make as humans, you never know when something can sprout, something of evil. So even with all the progress we're making, who knows the lifestyles we're going to live? in 10 years. You know, I have so many vegan friends that were passionate vegans for 20 years, 15 years, and then their life takes another turn. So of course there's that some sense of fear that there is so much potential for crazy things to happen and we don't actually have control of anything. Um, but I've been able to do a lot of work in order to accept that, even though it's hard to surrender and accept, of course that's still scary. Um, What else makes me scared is that some, for some reason, I won't be able to live the life that I want to live. You know, I don't make a lot of money. I hate to say it, even though I'm so grateful that I do have the money I have and the people who support me on Patreon, that's how I make my money. But that's such a volatile thing that could end at any moment. And I would have to go figure out another way to make my life meaningful. And of course, I would figure it out. But because I haven't gotten to the point where I have this abundant, crazy social media success, it does make me scared that one day it could end, I'll be honest. So I'm always trying to grow my following because I find so much meaning in spreading my messages through this platform and I hope that it continues. Um, and then I, of course, I fear for my dog, Maggie, because so many days when we're traveling, you know, we'll turn a corner and some street dog will just come and bite her. It happens all the time. She's never drawn blood. She's a strong, powerful dog. But now that I'm a parent, you know, with your dog, Kiwi, right? Mm -hmm. um, actually, the woman I'm staying with has a dog named Kiwi as well. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, as a parent now, It's just life becomes so much scarier trying to make sure that your child is always safe. So I think that's a healthy thing to have some sense of fear with the health of your dog. Even though it's fear, it means that you're a good parent. And Maggie's currently sleeping and resting here in the air conditioning in the corner. So I'm very happy now. But yeah, those are, those are some of the things that 
bring me fear. I do not fear death. I do not fear injury. I don't fear sleeping in an abandoned building. I've released those fears, which feels so nice in life. I just, I just fear, you know, my life is so amazing right now that I fear any situation that I would have to stop uh, just being a full-time traveling vegan advocate. You know, that's what I want to do forever. Best advice you've ever received? Um, probably from my dad, but it was initially a Wayne Gretzky quote, which is a famous uh, uh, hockey player. And the advice is you will miss 100% of the shots that you don't take. Essentially, if you don't go for it, you're never going to get what you want. And that, you know, if you make sure to take as many shots as you can in life and do it, call up the person that you want to talk to. You know, you know this from interviewing people. You could sit all day thinking, oh, I'll never get in contact with this person mm -hmm. to interview them on the podcast. And then you say, screw it, I'll email them. And then look, you're talking to them a week later. So you got to take chances and take shots in your life or else you're never going to accomplish it. That's probably the best advice I've ever had. What is the future of veganism? I think the future... Uh, well... I don't think it's one thing. I think the future of veganism, well, I think we are going towards a vegan world. Um, I think in terms of the masses, you know, I, I used to think when I was living in the States and living in the cities and you see these trending numbers, right, which you've probably shown on your Instagram posts. Think about the vegan movement and the population of vegans in 2018 versus 1980. It's insane. If you look at that data, we're going towards a vegan world. But I have been traveling in these rural places where I realize all of that data is only based on people living in cities. And there are a whole lot of people like out here in rural Baja who are killing pigs and killing chickens and have no thought of the word vegan or vegetarian. Um, but you know what? I came to realize recently that that doesn't really matter because all that really matters is we get the people who are eating in the food system, in the, in the big agriculture food system, we have to end that. I don't think we're ever going to have a vegan world where the rural people who live 10 miles down the dirt road aren't killing their pigs. But in a way, it is more sustainable when people are doing it in very small scales. Hey, Susan, I just have one more minute of talking. I'm almost done. Um, but... I think, I, I think we are moving towards that world where people who are eating at grocery stores and having to buy into this big agriculture food system, it's clearly not sustainable. And those people are the ones who are influenced on social media and Instagram and who are plugged into the system. And look, the, the, lifestyle, the, the vegan lifestyle is so much more attractive. It makes you healthy. It allows you to live longer. It's better for the planet. The food is more colorful. And that tends to show up on social media, I think, even better than any other diet or lifestyle um, does. And so I think the trends that we see of people eating more plant-based are real. I think it's going to take a lot of time. I don't think it's going to happen tomorrow. But I think the future is positivity. 
I think it's also connecting to people's emotions. I don't believe that we're going to achieve the things we want to achieve simply through diet and fitness and, and food. I think an element of compassion and animal rights is the only way to make people long-term vegan. It's so easy to get into a healthy diet for a year, but then drop it off if it's only about your body and only about your health. It's not going to last forever. So I think it's this combination cocktail of people who are showing physically that it's an amazing lifestyle, that you can be healthier, be fitter, while also talking about the ethical and animal rights side, which you know, you and I are kind of perfect examples of people who do it all. We talk about nutrition, we talk about health, but we also talk about animal rights and sustainability. So I think it's not one thing. I don't think we can say, oh, we just need more vegan cookbooks or we need more vegan athletes. It's literally everything because people are complex and some people connect more to the ethical side others to the health side others to the fitness side um, so it's just advocating in a positive way and doing it from the heart and putting out good content I will say that I think the future is putting out better content because and I'm not saying that I'm the best at that because I, you know, I don't have the resources right now with a camera crew and all these things. But when I see inspiring people like uh, you with your Instagram posts and, you know, Rich Roll started making video podcasts that are so beautiful. He has this amazing studio and like... So I think higher quality content like Cowspiracy. Look at what Cowspiracy did, even over Forks Over Knives. Forks Over Knives is amazing and great and has influenced so many people. But as the production quality gets more professional, it's going to affect people more. So I think that is something that we should really focus on is trying to, you know, there's some people like me who are more on the spiritual side or need to connect with people through emotion, but I hope we have more people making really good quality professional content advocating for these things as well. Really well said. Thank you for those great answers and that me and my followers could pick your mind for one and a half hour. And yeah, guys, check out Jackson Foster. You mostly find him under Blantriotic at Instagram, YouTube and podcast. These are his main channels and super nice. So much travel inspiration and um, just how to live this compassionate lifestyle wherever you are. And I'm so amazed like by this mango tree, you know, where Maggie is standing in front of all these mango. This is total abundance. Oh yeah, thank you. Thank, thank you for posting that post on one of your Instagram accounts yeah. the other day. That was awesome. And yeah, I would love to say if anyone heard my story here and is inspired to join me on this lifestyle for a week, for a month, for a year, whatever it is, please contact me. I'm very easy to reach. DM me on my Plantriotic Instagram page. And I really want to find like-minded people who are interested in living this kind of lifestyle to come and join me. Even if it's getting an Airbnb in a town or a city for a month, I want more people to join me because I do get lonely. So if you've heard this and it inspired you in any way, please reach out to me and we can make it happen. And thank you so much for having me on, man. It was so much fun. Those questions were really good and stimulating and this is definitely one of the best podcasts i've been on we got so much information in here so thank you so much for letting me share and there you have it what a crazy great episode thank you so much for sticking until the end and bearing the not so quali high quality sound but you i have no doubt that you got something out of this conversation 
I think his lifestyle is so crazy inspirational. I don't know anyone who does it like him with a dog, um, vegan and you know vlogging his entire journey and sharing so many great insights and yeah showing us the world. I just, I just love to follow him. I, I keep up with his YouTube vlogs. I still love his podcast, his Instagram posts. So definitely check out Jack Foster. Give him some love that he still keeps it up. You know, traveling, shitty internet, so many, you know, living for the unknown. It's, it's, it's crazy. I, I couldn't imagine such a lifestyle, going that much out of your comfort zone and really living on the lowest and still be that happy. Anyways, thanks for listening and next time I try to improve the sound for my podcast guest. Um, I maybe let them record their sound with a separate microphone as well. I will figure it out, but as usual, usual <laughs> when I have my podcast alone by myself or with friends, then I have a proper microphone and the sound is on point. So stick around, Vegans Podcast. Thanks for listening. Until next time, peace. Out.